like if you make a great product and your customers see value in that, then that is a customer centric approach because you're providing something that your customers truly value and you're getting the appropriate margin for that. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. What's up, everybody? Back for another week of Spamming Zero. We are joined by an incredible guest. I cannot wait to have this conversation. Mike Vroom, he is the Senior Director of Customer Service at Untucket. We're going to dive into Untucket's strategy, some of their plans on how they approach things from a human perspective today. Welcome to the show, Mike. Glad to be here, James. Thanks for having me. If you're watching on video, the poor man is still repping a Yankees hat, and it's been a rough season for them. Now, you know, I won't say who I'm a fan of because it does compete with yours, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how how is it making you feel that the Yankees are not doing the greatest for the first time ever? I mean, yeah, it's been a long run. I don't know. It's frustrating to not see them try to improve the team at all the trade deadline. That's probably my big takeaway from this season. But yeah, I I think uh, Yankees fans, we, we probably overdue for a little bit of suffering. Yeah. Do you go to a lot of games? I do try to get to as many games. I have like one of those like little like 10 game season ticket packages in the bleachers. So I, I try to get there a few times a year at the very least. So yeah, I'm still very much involved in getting in the games. I'm kind of excited because Utah is supposed to be getting a major league baseball team. Oh, is that soon. right? Yeah. That's I, cool. Are they doing an expansion or are they moving somebody? Well, apparently the owner of the Utah jazz, like put in a bid and, and won that and an NHL team. So Utah's finally going to be like stepping it up, I guess. There you go. We'll see. (laughs) We've only had the, we've only had the Utah jazz to cheer for in the NBA for the longest time. So, you know, it's time that we broaden our horizons a little bit. For sure. For sure. All right, Mike. So before we dive into the topic, I always like to ask this question for every guest. If you could pick your favorite brand to get a tattoo of, what would it be and why? Well, I don't have any tattoos. So that's a big ask. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, you know, to put something, very permanent. I don't know. I'd probably go with like a sports franchise or something like that, to be honest with you. you you're um, going to go with the Yankees, aren't you? I could go with the Yankees. I'm actually a big Bills fan as well. That's probably like my number one team out of all the major sports teams. So long suffering Bills fan. So I'm, so this Yankees suffering isn't new to me <laughs> as a Bills fan. So um, yeah, probably something like that. <clears throat> I thought the Bills were going all the way last year, to be honest. They had a great team and I think they just ran out of gas at the end. It was a pretty taxing year for them as a team with everything that was going on in Buffalo. So feeling confident this year i feel like they have had a better roster each of the last two years but for some reason i think that this is going to be the year that they finally break through i think it like sports is weird that way like like it's not always like your best team that you win with sometimes just things have to break your way and i I feel like this is going to be that year see mike's probably wondering why i'm asking this question but you see now i have a permanent clip of him predicting the future so if the bills win (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can say, you know, he he knows his stuff when it comes yeah. to that even better. So this will be great. Okay. So Mike, when I asked you about something that you're passionate about, one of the things that you said is just like keeping the human element and everything, especially when there's automation galore, AI revolution, you know, the whole shebang. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about how you approach that at Untucket in particularly, like where do e-commerce brands get it wrong with AI right now? And, and why do they get it wrong? 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, just from like a high level that, you know, I think the human element is is critical to any brand success, particularly if you want to consider yourself a customer-centric brand. That's something that's not to be dismissed. I think that, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, there's, you know, obviously this whole feeling that everybody's kind of like longing for this human interaction that we were robbed of, of for a couple of years. You know, I have a couple of close friends that are introverts that that was a great time for them. But for the vast majority of us, <laughs> we, we are a social species. We long for that human connection. And I think that's critical to any brand success. So <clears throat> I think when an, an area that, you know, some brands can probably get it wrong is looking at all these amazing tools that we have at our, our disposal, leveraging AI and machine learning and things like that, and trying and thinking about ways that you can use it to replace bodies which of course you can. But I think looking at it, taking a different approach of how can I use these tools that we have at our disposal to enhance our agent's performance and really get them involved in the more meaningful interactions with your customer base. I think that's really like the approach that you should be taking, not just, hey, how many, how much can I cut my head count <laughs> versus how can I, you know, kind of get rid of that low hanging fruit, of course, so that my people can have more meaningful interactions with, with our customers. Yeah, I saw this article. Our CEO sent me this article the other day and it was an e-commerce company. I can't remember which one they were, but it was a CEO that literally like fired uh, like 90% of their support staff just because an AI could do it. And like he was comparing all these stats and there's this big long thread and I was like, dang, that's crazy. Here's what I think is going to happen. So maybe there's, maybe we can clip this for my prediction for the future. Okay. See, I, I genuinely believe in AI and I genuinely believe in automation or I wouldn't be working for flip, but <laughs> that's besides the point. I think it's going to get so noisy. It's going to be just like what happened with the pandemic and people are going to crave the human side even more. It's going to be one of those things where, when you have a more human element, it's going to make it stand out that much more and it's going to be that much more memorable. That's what I truly believe. Now I, I've been known to be wrong, so I might be wrong here, but that's what I think is going to happen. <clears throat> I just think it's getting so noisy. Everyone's claiming they can do AI. Everyone's claiming they can automate everything and make your lives easier. So, I mean, you guys have been doing this a little bit, Mike. So talk to us a little bit about how has it, how's it impacted your agents and how are they able to focus more on the human side? Yeah, I think that the upshot is that, you know, like I said, you know, those kind of low hanging fruit types of questions, like, where's my tracking? Like, yeah, you know, it's just like, so I think by eliminating those, which, you know, AI has, has been and machine learning and, and all these tools that we have at our disposal have been great at is that it keeps your agents more engaged because when they actually are interacting with a, a customer, it's a more meaningful interaction. It's just when you're answering the same Wismo questions 50 times a day, you can start to feel like a human drone. So I think that by kind of pulling out some of those types of interactions and having more meaningful interactions, you have a more engaged customer service team. And that's going to create, you know, obviously better interactions, better CSAT scores, and I've always been a big proponent of quality over quantity in terms of like churning through, you know, cases and things like that. So like I want the customer interactions to to be meaningful and I want a first contact resolution. Like, and if that takes a little bit extra time, that's okay. But let's get rid of like the, you know, the questions that 
a robot can answer so that our human agents don't feel like robots answering these questions, right? That's a really good way to put it. I haven't heard anybody put it that way. And it's actually really great. One of the things that you guys did really, really well, Mike, is you guys moved this human element into your brick and mortar stores. Talk to us a little bit about the vision there. What happened? How did it transpire? And what impact it's had so far? Yeah, so we, and this is probably contrary to a lot of, of DTC brands, is like we're fully committed to brick and mortar. We, even through the pandemic, when you know we, everybody that had brick and mortar shops really took it on the chin there, we were no exception. We stayed committed to it and through it. We're doing it in a way that's smart. We're not trying to, you know, open up 300 stores or anything like that. We want to make sure that our stores are profitable, close the handful that aren't, and replace them with ones that we think can be in new markets. So we're fully committed to it. And that human experience, it really drives our brand in the places that we can, which is most of our stores. You know, we have whiskey that we offer our customers, small touches like that, things that you wouldn't expect walking into most retail shops. Those things matter to us and as a brand. It matters to me as a whiskey fan myself. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's just like that, just part of like us wanting to create a unique experience. And, you know, we have, you know, our try on rack and everything. So we really want to create this kind of like white glove, high touch environment for our shoppers so that they walk out of our store feeling like they had an experience, not just like, oh, I bought a shirt. I love this because this is one of my favorite things that you guys do. There's a branding element to this, right? And and it is, it's deeper. I, I kind of drives me nuts that so many D2C brands will almost replicate their online experience and their in-store experience and then expect it to do something different, right? Yep. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be those those people that want to go and try things on in, in person. And I'm one of those people, right? So there are a lot of them. But I do think genuinely you have an opportunity here when people are going into your brick and mortar store for the very first time to create a unique experience. <clears throat> and you guys are doing it incredibly well at Nantucket. I love it. I actually went into one of your stores and experienced this myself. So you guys are doing an incredible job at this. It's one reason why our VP of partnerships is like one of your biggest fans. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him in a non untucket shirt unless actually, no, I've seen him in a flip shirt before. So there you go. <laughs> you got to, you got to wrap the brand. Yeah. Okay. So outside the whiskey, what are some other things that you guys do? That's a little bit different either online or brick and mortar that keeps that human element in. I love the, the whiskey idea, by the way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some, some other things that we're doing is just, you know, kind of, trying to meet customers where they are. The recognition that you do have customers that are going to be omnichannel across stores and across e-com, but there are certain people that just are only interested in using one of those or the other. So we're segmenting our customer base in a way that kind of recognizes that, that it's not like, you know, you'll see some brands that will like take the brick and mortar customers and push them into e-com or vice versa. And, and we're trying to just meet customers where they are and, and do things that speak to each of them. Like we have in-store events from like find your fit to we have like store anniversaries every year where, where it's, it, it's an in-store event. <clears throat> and, and like that would be a drive to store moment for us just to kind of keep those brick and mortar employees and uh, brick and mortar customers engaged. And then, you know, similarly, like, you know, I could go on forever on on e-com strategy but like that that's that's well-worn territory like we know what dtc e-com strategy looks like 
And I think what we do differently is just understanding that we do have different types of customers that prefer to interact with our brand in different ways and recognizing that. And like I always say, meet them where they are. I love that. Mike, one of the things that I have heard so many people talk about in this industry is the idea that, well, when you do that, it's impossible to scale it, right? So what would you say to those naysayers out there? I think that you have to scale in a way that is gradual and makes sense. And I think this also speaks to the overall market today. The era of high growth, massive losses, like that's over. It's, you know, double digit growth isn't as sexy as it was. Profitability is what's sexy today. You know, so I mean, for hundreds of years, the way businesses have grown is by being profitable and reinvesting that money into the business. And over the last couple of decades, we kind of got away from that. And we just started throwing money at things and profitability didn't matter. It was just grow, 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 grow. And then in some industries, yeah, you kind of have to do that. But in a lot of them, that's not the best strategy. And I think for the retail business, that's definitely not the correct approach. And not, not to say that we weren't growing massively for a five-year stretch, we were. But I think that the shift in focus, it, yeah, and I we were even shifting in focus pre-pandemic towards profitability. Uh, and we're finally there. It's like, that's what people are looking for today. And that's what's really going to drive a sustainable business that's going to be around for the long term. Love that. So let's dive into a little bit of like what you guys have done internally um, at Untuck It on how you've set guardrails around AI. Because obviously, if you do have that human element, you have to set guardrails. There's ethical components to that as well. And I'd love for you to just dive into some of that. Talk to the audience a little bit about how you've approached that. Yeah. I mean, one thing is just like really making sure that you have your ducks in a row from like a compliance side. You know, that's something that we've really been hyper-focused on for like the last 18 months is just like all of our customers being fully informed of all their interactions and what that does or doesn't look like. It's kind of boring stuff for me because like I'm not into the legal side of it, uh, but it's important stuff. So that, that, that's that's a big component of it, is just making sure that you have full disclosure, full transparency in terms of, you know, who and what your customers are interacting with. So that's super important. And then just as far as like kind of broad guardrails, you know, you just you don't want to let the technology like outpace your own understanding. You got to know like what you're doing and, and how you're doing it so that it doesn't kind of get away from you. And I think that we've done, we've taken kind of like, you know, a cautious approach in, in the way that we've leveraged technology to make sure that we know exactly what it's doing and we feel confident that we're doing it in a reliable and conservative way. Yeah, I think there's this saying, right, that goes like, you shouldn't bring on technology unless you have humans to manage it. And in order for humans to manage it, you really have to understand it. So I, like I, I'm a big believer in that. And I think that you, I love your point on that because I do think that there's way too many businesses that are coming under the fold into direct to consumers, like technology stack. And there's not enough due diligence done there. One, either they're claiming they're doing things that they're not, or two, like they can't provide the ethical side and they can't provide the legal side. Or three, to also your point, the idea of not being able to tie that into somebody who can actually manage it and understand it so that it's not pacing it out. And 
I mean, these three things are so big and they oftentimes get overlooked with technology. So what's your advice to people on how they can make sure that they don't overlook all, any, any three of these items? I mean, for one, you want to be very selective in who you choose to partner with. And, you know, you want to work with vendors that you can trust, you know, love you guys at Flip, of, short, of course. Like, I, I got to give you guys your shout out. You, you know, you, you deserve it. You know, you guys have been great partners from the very beginning. And I'm, I'm hyper selective in, in who I choose to work with from a, a SaaS standpoint. Like we don't want to just have some kind of, you know, like you said, these lofty promises and it's basically just like a black box and you don't know how they're doing it. I want to know the people that I'm working with and I want to understand the technology that they're providing so that I can feel confident in the way my team uses that and the way our customers interact with that. Love that. Okay, so we're going to play a little game. You up for that? All right. We're going to play a uh, rapid fire this or that. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question and, and then it's going to have two options. You're going to pick one. Okay. All right. You're out shopping. Are you shopping online or brick and mortar? You said out shopping. So I feel well, like I'm brick and mortar. I mean, sort of. You could be out. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> On, online or brick and mortar? Uh, most of my shopping is done online. Yeah. All right. Breakfast or dinner? Dinner. Okay. Football or baseball? Football. I know I got the Yankees hat on, but, but <laughs> baseball's a set. I'm just to, seeing to if I can trick you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Instead of a this or that, tell me your favorite musical artist. Oh my gosh. I'm like a big outcast fan. Outcast. Like, I yeah, outcast. Yeah, I don't I don't know. One of my buddies in college got me into them. He's from Atlanta. And I just was like, I don't know, like I, I have their whole, you know, back catalog and everything. It, it's just like, I don't know, for something about, you know, like kind of having two MCs, you know, like kind of trade the mic back and forth, you know, Andre 3000 is a genius, you know, so just like, yeah, I don't know. Those guys just that, that, that hits for me. Well, you know, I was going to do a this or that on like which song you liked, but for some reason, all I can think about is the Sorry, Miss Jackson song. <laughs> That's the only one that's coming to mind right now. What are the other songs? I mean, they they got a, a ton of stuff. Good you ones. know, Your Box All Below is is the the one of those no most because I came after they blew up with Stankonia. But I, I'm like I'm a big fan of like their AT Aliens album. So yeah, it's probably not the answer you're expecting. But all right. So do you do a lot of exercise in your day week? Uh, I do not as much as I should. I hate cardio. I have like weight. I have weights in my garage. So like, that's where I work out. You know, I kind of got away from the the gym when, in the pandemic. And it's like, once you start working out at home, it's like, you don't want to go back to the gym. Yeah. Then you don't have to deal with all the meatheads too, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do this or that there, but you actually answered the question anyway. Okay. Let's come back to the topic for a second. I want to talk a little bit about like how you can create some transparency, not only with your team, but what role do you envision AI having in the future with customer service and specifically at Untuck it as well? Like, how do you guys, how are you guys going to start leveraging it? Like you've never leveraged it before. I think the parallel that, that I draw a lot for AI is like self-driving cars. Like 10 years ago, everyone was just like, oh, your kids aren't even going to need to get a driver's license. You know, it's like every car is going to be driving itself by the end of the decade. And, but a lot of good things have come out of that. For one, we're closer now than we were 10 years ago. We're not nearly where we are today, where we thought we were going to be 10 years ago. But there's been like a lot of great like dry safety features that have come out of the push for this technology. And for me, you know, 
what that's done is that's augmented human drivers and made them better drivers. The way your cruise control works, accident prevention and all those types of things. Those have been good things that have come out of this push for self-driving vehicles. And that's kind of the, the way I see AI evolving over the next 10 years is it's not just like, hey, AI is going to do everything. It's like, no, AI is going to do a lot of things and it's going to help actual humans be far more efficient and effective at what they do. And it's going to be great. Like, I'm very bullish on AI, but it's not like panic. You know, it, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not going to make everything perfect and beautiful and and everyone can just sit around and lounge while, you know, AI does all the work for us. You know, it's just like there, there needs to be human kind of, you know, driving the process for sure. I love the self-driving example that you're giving here. It is so, it's perfect. And I'm going to give you just a quick scenario, okay? So we have this Kia Carnival. It's one of the few vehicles that fits all of our kids because we have four kids. There's got to be six seats. And I can't tell you, we have almost gotten more accidents because of the AI on our vehicle than not, actually. So we'll be driving on the freeway and there's like, we can clearly see our surroundings on the left or right. And we're not like getting over in the lane. But if the person next to you just gets a little too close, all of a sudden the vehicle just jerks, right? It jerks the other way. Man, I'll tell you what, <laughs> my wife... <laughs> Do not be in the car with her when this happens. <laughs> you will regret it. She cannot stand it. So I do think that like this is a great example of how there are elements to this that, while it seems like a good feature, and for most of the majority, it actually can do some pretty great things like prevent accidents and things like that. But I also think, like, can you imagine if my wife just totally let go of the wheel? You know, you're going on the freeway. Yeah that could roll and that would be all six of us potentially dead. So, I mean, yeah, there, there are big situations and I don't want to claim that there's going to be like life threatening ordeals with AI, but in a lot of ways there will be right because of generative AI and what has been done there. And so like when obviously from customer service, you don't think about that, but when you think about like how it can potentially collect PI data and like, that personal information that people are going to have with like payments and things like that. Like how, like, what do you think about when it comes to that in the customer service world and how do you guys try to approach that and untuck it? Yeah. So I think, you know, and this kind of like goes back to the compliance space is just like making sure that you're like, you're really like aware of what you're using and, and how it works and that there is no like kind of black box component where you don't actually know what's going on back there. I think, you know, we need to reckon with this on like, a high level, you know, like that's the reason why, you know, seven AI leaders went to the White House a couple months ago. Like this really needs some a thoughtful approach. It, it needs some government intervention and we need smart people to put up guardrails. And I think like one of the things that kind of, you know, hits for me is ultimately like people are making this. And I think it's important that the people that are making it are coming from diverse backgrounds so that you don't have these kind of like latent biases in the products that they're making because that can seep in like no matter how you know revolutionary a technology it's still made by people so like i think the the more diverse the inputs we're getting on this technology as as we kind of build it out and you know and in some ways we're kind of building the plane while we're flying it on the ai side i think the better the the product is ultimately going to be or or less dangerous, maybe is a better way to put it. Love that. 
Okay, we're going to end with the segment of what we call Flip, Mary Kill. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what's something sexy or innovative in e-commerce right now? What's something that is here to stay, not going anywhere? What's something you would kill yesterday? Okay, that's good. Sexy is making money. Profitability is sexy. Something that's here to stay is, is truly customer-centric brands. And not just giving it lip service, but actually being a customer-centric brand. And that was kind of like always the promise with DTC. Some have nailed it. Some have kind of missed the mark there. And then till yesterday, uh, growth just for the sake of growth. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. I Wait a minute. I got to double down on this. This stick around for a while. Yeah. Um, so then, okay. How do you define then how if a brand is customer-centric or not? Like, how do you define that? It's like the entire way you've kind of built your structure is to provide value to the customer. I think that that's the best way that I can put it. Because it's just like the it's because it's just like you'd say, oh, like we're we're product driven. And it's just like, no, if like if you make a great product and your customers see value in that, then that is a customer centric approach because you're providing something that your customers truly value and you're getting the appropriate margin for that. And I think that's really how you become a brand that is like worth something as a brand, as opposed to just like a commodity is like a shirt is a shirt is a shirt. It's like, nah, like Untuck is a brand and like, yeah, we make shirts and a lot of other things, but like the experience that you have with our brand, whether it's e-com or brick and mortar, you're going to come out of that experience, not just with a great shirt, but with a great interaction. Yeah, see, I love that. I kind of, how I define like customer centric is a little bit like still in the same realm that you're talking about, but I kind of think of it as like a promise that you've made and a promise that you've actually fulfilled. And I, 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 I know that, that. I like that. Yeah. I know that totally probably oversimplifies it, but. I just truly believe that if you're really customer centric, you never make a promise to somebody that you actually can't fulfill. I always say under promise over deliver. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm saying people tend towards the other, but yeah. Okay, Mike, well, you've been amazing on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, James. Great to catch up with you. Come back each and every week for awesome guests like Mike Vroom from Untuck It. Please join us. Come subscribe and let me know if you want anybody on the show that we haven't had yet. Spamming zero. We're out.